Let us prepare to hear a word from the Lord as it comes to us from Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 21 through 43. It'll be on the screen here behind me. Yep, there it is. You can read along, you can close your eyes, you can read it from your own Bibles that you brought with you on your iPhones or the hard copies, whichever it is. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came when he saw Jesus. He fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed in all around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered, great, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she got worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people gathered against you, crowded against you, his disciples said, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they had said, Jesus told him, do not be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why is all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but she's asleep. And they laughed at him. After he put them out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and he went into where the little girl was, and he took her by the hand and said, Talitha Kaun, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. If this scripture sounds familiar... It should. You're right. It's the same text we read last week. If you're like, hey, Woods forgot which week it is. No, I didn't. We did this intentionally. We're continuing in our series on healing, looking each week at different aspects of Jesus's healing ministry. And, and we've seen how, how Christ heals in all sorts of ways. He, he heals through us. God heals our perspective. God heals our debts. Last week, we looked at this story and focused on Jairus, and we saw how God heals our weakness. When we are at our weakest, God is at his strongest. This week, though, I would like for us to focus not on Jairus and Jairus' daughter, but instead on the woman, the woman who Jesus stopped and healed, and see through her story how we come to understand that God heals our shame. That's what I'd like to preach about this morning. God heals our shame. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our strength 
and our Redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. You know, it's hard for me to believe that one of my favorite movies came out almost 20 years ago. It's also hard to believe that I'm now at the age where I can say things like 20 years ago. Um, I mean, I feel it with my kids. Don't get me wrong. I'm just, you know, somebody said, just wait. I understand. I'm just, I'm just now having my first experience of these things. And so my quarter life crisis, you know, is happening. I'm just kidding. No, it, it was back in 2005 that Joaquin Phoenix played Johnny Cash in the film Walk the Line. I don't know if you ever saw that one or not. It was the one where, where Reese Witherspoon won the Oscar for playing June Carter opposite Phoenix's Cash. And the two together put together w- one of the best performances of the early 2000s, in my opinion. And one of my favorite lines in the film comes almost at the very end. After we're about to wrap up the entire movie, Johnny Cash is between sets at his famous recording where he was at live from Folsom Prison. And in between the, the two sets, he was backstage or, you know, back in the shop, <laughs> staring at a table saw. You remember this scene? He's sitting there staring at a table saw. And it's actually the same scene that begins the movie as well. It, it, books, it bookends the film. And, and after watching the entirety of the movie, you see what that table saw represents. And you see what has happened in Johnny Cash's life up to this point. That table saw reminds him of how he was absent for a table saw incident that took his brother's life. The same incident that his father blames him for. His father said, God took the wrong son. And Johnny Cash has to live with that. Immediately after his brother's death, we're taken on a journey to learn about Johnny Cash's life about his drug addictions, about his wrong choices, the mistakes and follies he made, all while he was generating this incredible music career. It's a man whose life was in shambles, but but had the fame and fortune that everybody is so desperate to experience in his line of work. At the end of the film, we're back there in Folsom Prison, and he's staring at that table saw, and he's remembering all these things and then in that same moment where Johnny is reflecting on his life, the, the warden comes up to him after he's been contemplating all of his mistakes, all of the life he's experienced, all of his attempts at recovery. The warden comes up to him, jars him from his daydream, and he says to Johnny Cash, you mind me asking you not to play any more songs that remind them they're in prison? <laughs> and Johnny Cash looks at him when a smile kind of comes up from the corner of his mouth, and he says, Why? You think they forgot? (laughs) You see, Johnny Cash knew all too well what it was like to be trapped, to be a prisoner. And I I don't just talk about, and I'm not just meaning the the few times he was arrested and had to spend the night in lockup. I mean the type of trapped that locks up your soul, The, the type of imprisonment that needs no bars or fences or guards. It's that same prison that the woman we read about in our story felt. It's that that same entrapment that grips many of us. It's the prison of shame. It's something from which Christ has come to heal all of us, but many of us have not yet accepted it. See, the woman we read about in this gospel lesson was bleeding for 12 years. Some translations say she was hemorrhaging. 
most of our teenagers and adults will understand what the biblical author is describing as her ailment. If you are here and you don't, I'll let your parents talk to you about it. I don't think it's my place to describe that to you. Um, But I will say this. Not only was her affliction causing her physical pain and discomfort, it also caused her to be ostracized from society. You see, as Jewish purity laws go, there are a lot of things that can make you unclean. And if you were unclean, you were not fit to be out in public. If you were unclean, you weren't allowed to touch anybody else. You weren't allowed to go to certain things. If you were unclean, you had to go through a ritual purification before you were made right and could be back out in public. If you broke God's purity laws, and there were a lot of them, you could be punished. Before entering back out into public or before touching anyone else, you had to go through this ritual purification, which meant that women had to go through it every month. Every month, a woman had to go through this ritual purification. So the woman in our story was never able to be a part of society because she was never able to be made clean. According to their laws, according to their customs, she was perpetually unclean. And everybody knew it. There's not much that goes on in a town like ancient Jerusalem or many of the other areas we read about that everybody doesn't hear about. You think Mobile is a small town where things spread. Imagine being back in a place where there are much less people, much fewer people and and things spread so quickly. Everybody knew to keep their distance from this woman. Everybody knew that she was an outcast and they treated her as such. They were, I'm sure, quick to make sure she felt unwanted and unwelcome because they didn't want to be made impure by touching her, being around her. And so she was ashamed. She was ashamed to go out in public. She was ashamed to touch another human being. She was ashamed and trapped in a prison. And I bet some of us can can identify with what that feels like. I bet it's not too much of a stretch for you to put yourself in her shoes and Maybe we might not have had the same affliction this woman had, but but doesn't it feel like, have you ever felt that type of imprisonment? Have you ever felt trapped by shame? Maybe it's shame that you brought upon yourself because of your own decisions. Maybe it's something you've said. Maybe it's something you've done. Maybe it's something that you regret. Or maybe it's something that you had no control over. Maybe like this woman, you're ashamed and shamed by society, by something that you couldn't help. I mean, the world has has a lot of ways to shame people for uncontrollable things. It's been one of our kind of things we're really good at since the dawn of time. I mean, whether it's race or nationality or gender, whether it's your accent, who your parents were, what your socioeconomic status is. We have no shortage of ways to make sure that people feel ashamed if they're different. We have no shortage of ways of making sure that that people are trapped in shame if they're not like us. If If you're not just the way we think you should be, then you're like them, and you should be ashamed to be them. And it's kind of one of the, the things that humans have gotten right in the worst possible kind of way. 
There's a lot of things that we have failed at, but, but learning how to shame people, we've got that one down pat. And shame, my friends, shame makes us believe that we are less than the person God created us to be. That's what shame does. It's, it makes us believe that we can't be in relationships the way that God wants us to be in relationships. It makes us believe that God can't love us because there's something wrong with us. It makes us believe that somebody else can't care for us because there's something wrong with us. It makes us believe that we're, we, we'll never be anything more than who we think we are. When we're weighed down by shame, we feel like we can't be honest with, with other people. We feel like we're unable to be vulnerable. We feel like we're unable to trust. We're cut off from being one with other people. We're, we're cut off from being able to be part of the world like everybody else is. When we're racked with shame, we feel like we're trapped in a prison that we can't get out of. I mean, that's exactly how this woman felt. Her shame kept her from going out and being one with the world. She was cut off from society, cut off from her family and her friends. But to her credit, she did not take this plight lying down. The scriptures tell us that she tried everything. It says that she spent all the money she had on doctors. And not only did she not get better, she got worse. She was determined to try everything imaginable. But I can only imagine the type of fear that probably welled up inside of her with each failed attempt to get better. Can you imagine what that would be like, the emotional fear, the constant state of fear that she felt? I mean, fear of being punished by the authorities should she step out of line or somebody realize that she's doing something she shouldn't do. Fear that she might never get better. In her mind, that was a real possibility. Fear that she'd end up living life alone. She was full of fear when she fell at Jesus' feet. That's exactly what the Bible says. It says, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. And she told him the whole truth. She was ashamed of what she had done. She was ashamed of her desperate action, which caused by the fear that came from the same shame that was caused by society. I mean, isn't that kind of how shame works? Isn't shame kind of like a snowball? Shame leads us to fear, and that fear breeds more shame, which in turn breeds more fear, which in turn breeds more shame. We're ashamed of something about us, something we've done or something says, someone says about us, and so we live our lives in fear, and then that fear leads us to an action to which we then become ashamed of. We act out of fear, and that decision leads to more shame. With fear and trembling, this woman has experienced this cycle over and over and over, and she falls at Jesus' feet. And he, she knew it was his right to punish her. That's why she was afraid. It was technically it was his right to bring her before the religious authorities and have her punished. So she's ashamed, she's afraid, and then Jesus does something incredible. Jesus shows us why. He is the son of God. I mean, this whole story is great. This, this healing is incredible. And it's something for which we can all give thanks. But before we look at exactly what Jesus, Jesus does, I, I want to pause and say, the thing I, I particularly love about this story is a little bit of humor that's kind of worked in there. Did you notice whenever Jesus and the disciples 
were getting off his boat, how they reacted to what, what he asked. They're walking along and Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples think his question is ridiculous. They say, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Because you got he just got off this boat and there's a crowd of hundreds of people all around him and, he, and he's trying to work his way through it. It's like whenever a, a team wins a, a Super Bowl or a national championship and, and they show back up to their hometown and there's this parade and everybody's trying to, to touch them or be close to them. I mean, I can only imagine back when, in the fall, when the Atlanta Braves won the World Series, because in case you didn't know, the Atlanta Braves won the World Series, kind of a big deal. Um, I can only imagine Freddie Freeman, you know, everybody's reaching out with their bats and their hats, their shirts to get them signed, and Freddie just stops and is like, who touched me? And Ozzie Albies looks at him and says, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. You know, that, that's what's going on. Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody is touching you. But Jesus knew something had happened. And he paused and he, and he looked around and he saw that somebody had acted out of faith. He knew this woman had done something courageous. The woman came before Jesus, admitted what had happened, and Jesus does not blame her. He doesn't throw her into more shame. He does the exact opposite of what everybody else would have done. He doesn't criticize her. He doesn't tell her she's wrong for breaking the rules. Jesus shows us that he is the only one who can break the cycle of fear and shame that grips so many in this world. And not only does he not look down at her, not only does he not shame her, he looks at her and he calls her daughter. Not woman, like the rest of the story says. Not stranger or offender. He looks at her and he says, daughter. I mean, you want to call somebody your daughter if you love them a lot. He says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your suffering. And Jesus isn't just talking about her physical suffering, but the suffering she felt from being trapped in a world of shame. And isn't that the good news that we all need to hear? The things that this world wants to use for shame, God can use for our healing. The very action for which this woman should have been punished, Jesus says, this is the thing that has healed you. God says, I know you're afraid, but you have nothing to fear. I offer you peace and healing. You know, it's actually ironic about Johnny Cash his most popular song on Spotify is the, the app that a lot of the, the kids use these days to listen to music. It's like eight-track tapes back in the day. You know, it's, it's, except it's on your phone. Um, his most popular song is not even one of his own. It's not even an original one by Johnny Cash. It's a cover of a song called Hurt by Nine Inch Nails, a very different type of band than Johnny Cash. And it's so popular that it has double the amount of plays than his next most popular song. Hurt has 456 million plays. Ring of Fire has 245 million plays. And at first I thought it kind of strange that Johnny Cash, one of the most prolific and impactful recording artists of generations, of, of all time, really, he's not most known 
by most people for one of his own songs, but somebody else's. But if you know about his life, if you've watched Walk the Line, if you've read his biographies, it it actually kind of makes sense. Because his life, his early and middle-aged years, they were filled with hurt and regret and pain and shame. And the main course of the song Hurt goes like this. What have I become? Oh, my sweetest friend. Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt, because I will let you down and I will make you hurt. This is a song about a person plagued by their decisions and trapped by the pain of their life. A person who is racked with shame. I mean, the lyrics go on like this. I wear this crown of thorns upon my liar's chair, full of broken thoughts that I cannot repair. Beneath the stains of time, the feeling disappears because you are somewhere else and I am still right here. This song is about a person who sees the wake of tragedy that they've caused and the tragedy that has been thrust upon them. It's, about a song, it's a song about a person who is filled with shame and regret for what they have done. And I think that's why it's his most popular song. That's why it's Johnny Cash's most popular song. Because it's even more popular than the original version of the song. Because despite the fact that Johnny Cash was able to straighten out his life, find redemption and, and sobriety and the latter years of things that we can celebrate, you can tell that the person who is singing that song understands those lyrics at his very core. When you listen to that song and the way he sings it, you know that he knows what he's talking about. You know that he's a man who has regret and a person who has experienced shame. And the reason it has double the most plays of any of his other songs is because there is a world of people out there who feel the exact same way. People can hear that man sing those lyrics and say, he has felt what I feel. They can hear that song and say, that's how, that's how I, that's how I feel every day. People who are struggling with the decisions they've made, the things that they've done. People who are struggling with what they have had to deal with, the things that have been thrust upon them people who are put down, people who are put out. There's a world full of people weighed down by shame. But the good news is that God is longing to take those in pain and lift up their heads. God is longing to say to the world, daughter, son, go and be freed from your suffering. God wants to take what the world wants to use for harm and redeem it for healing. God wants to lift up the broken. God wants to comfort the hurting. God wants to heal those filled with shame. Maybe that's you today. I don't know what's been going on in your life. I don't know what you have done or what you've been through. 
what you've said, what you regret, but maybe you came to church this morning filled with guilt and filled with shame. Maybe you've hurt somebody and you know it. Or maybe somebody has told you you're not enough. Or maybe somebody has put you in a position that you feel like you can never get out of. I pray that today, if it's the first time you've ever heard it, or the 50th, you will hear that you are loved by the God who can heal. The God who wants to take that pain, who wants to lift up your head, to tell you that you are not defined by your shame. You do not have to be trapped by the things that you regret. And you cannot be owned by what others have said and done to you. Who you are is a child of God, a daughter, a son. And God wants more than anything else for you to feel the healing love and grace and for you to hear these words. Go and be freed from your suffering. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.